Hey everyone, we are back finally for a new episode of the Fix Your Gut podcast. And I'm so excited to dive into this topic because first of all, uh, inside my membership, Fix Your Gut for Good, November is all about healthy aging. And I know a number of people have been following me and asking me questions about healthy aging, a lot of concerns about uh, metabolism and changes with skin and hair and all kinds of age-related concerns, even things like arthritis. Um, This is all connected to our gut health and overall health. So I really wanted to dive into some of these important topics because there's so much we can do, both from a preventative um, aspect, but also in terms of, you know, once you've developed some of these issues, we can reverse them. So let's dive in and I'm really excited to get started. You're listening to the Fix Your Gut podcast a podcast that empowers you to understand why you have gut issues and what to do about it. After over 20 years of suffering with IBS, migraines, and chronic fatigue, I decided to take matters into my own hands and I became a nutritionist so I could not only heal myself, but heal others that were struggling like me. Odds are you're here because you're stuck. Your doctor couldn't help and you've already tried cutting out foods and probiotics. So now what? You don't have to suffer anymore. You can heal your gut. We're going to go beyond diet and supplements to empower you with the knowledge you need to achieve deep, lasting healing and finally enjoy food again and get your life back. Okay, we are back and we are diving into um, fatty liver and the changes that happen Okay, so we are back, and this time we're going to be talking a little bit about the changes that happen in perimenopause and menopause, and how that um, sets us up for developing certain conditions like fatty liver um, and high cholesterol and things like that, and how this is all connected to these hormone changes as well as changes in our gut. So I hope you're excited to dive into a little bit of nerdy science stuff. I'm going to make it easy to understand, I promise, but let's dive in. So what happens, we talked about the declining estrogen as we get closer to and enter menopause. And what happens there is we need estrogen for several things in the body. So I'm going to start first by talking about the overall gut issues that can develop when we have these declining hormone levels, such as constipation, bloating, and something called SIBO. Um, And then we're going to dive into um, more of fatty liver and cholesterol and other issues there because there's a huge role of your liver health in digestion as well and hormones. So it's all kind of connected. I hope you're kind of putting that together. Um, So what happens as we age? So one of the common things is we get constipated and that constipated constipation is due to a number of factors. One is that um, we naturally start having more what's called methanogens in our gut. Methanogens are actually not bacteria. They're not a virus. They're not a yeast and they're not a parasite. They're called archaea. They're an ancient form of microbes that um, we don't have, you know, too much knowledge about. um, And they're not as common as some of these other microbes, but I digress. They are way more common in people as they get older. And one of the theories is that because these methanogens tend to slow our transit time and cause constipation, and we know that when we're constipated, our gut bacteria has more time to extract more calories from our food. And so, um, especially in, you know, caveman days back in the day, 
food was often scarce, right? So we needed to have things like methanogens in our gut to extract excess calories when we did eat in order to put on a little bit of fats for some extra storage for times when food was scarce and we would go kind of into starvation mode and our body would have to use that fat on our body as fuel. So it's kind of an evolutionary adaptation where these methanogens kind of adapted to being inside side of us and um, they help us to extract these excess calories. So obviously a lot of us do not want that to be happening when we're trying to manage our weight, especially a lot of women as we enter perimenopause and menopause um, tend to be more prone to weight gain. And this is one of the reasons why we have talked about others in the past. And I will briefly mention um, one of the reasons being that your testosterone also drops and testosterone is needed to build muscle mass. And without high enough muscle mass, our metabolism goes down. Um, but let's get back to this constipation thing. So the more methanogens we have, the more constipated we are. And as a general rule, when we're constipated, we tend to gain weight because we, our bacteria have more time to extract more calories from our food. So if you didn't already know this, even in those of us that aren't constipated, this is actually a role of your gut microbiome, especially in your large intestine. One of the final roles that they play is extracting calories from your food. It's one of our final steps of digestion. So I know it sounds kind of weird, but they are helping us digest and absorb nutrients and calories from our food. But when we have more of these methanogens and we're more constipated, we tend to extract excess calories than we would if we didn't have as many of these methanogens. So obviously we can do a lot to modulate this. So when you're working with a practitioner like myself, we can do a stool test to see, first of all, are your methanogen levels high? Is that the reason for your constipation? Because there are other reasons. So things like food sensitivities, other bacteria or yeast imbalances are called dysbiosis. Um, having low stomach acid and low bile, which we will dive into soon in terms of liver health and, um, not enough fiber, too many processed foods and, and simple sugars. There's many, many factors, including high stress that can contribute to constipation, right? So we have to kind of rule out all these other factors. And ideally my preference is to see a stool microbiome test like the GI map to see, you know, do we actually have these methanogens? Is that what's causing the constipation or is it something else? Now, there are many other things that can contribute to constipation as we age as well. So estrogen is needed. Um, estrogen actually keeps things moving through our gut at a good pace. It's kind of a prokinetic agent. So when we, our estrogen declines in, in menopause, we have a little less, you know, of a slower or a little more of a slower system, I guess, and are more likely to have constipation. So that's why sometimes women notice um, premenstrual changes in their um, stool because of these fluctuating hormones, right? Um, where some people might get constipated and other people might get diarrhea. But we know that when hormones fluctuate, it's going to cause changes in our stool. And especially when estrogen drops, we're more likely to become constipated. So now we've got two factors. So the increase in methanogens and the decline of estrogen that are causing constipation. On top of that, we have a third factor, and that is low stomach acid and low bile. So let's start with stomach acid. We know we need stomach acid for digestion. When our stomach acid is low, we are more likely to have heartburn. I know that sounds contradictory, but hear me out. Western medicine believes that we have heartburn because our stomach acid is too high. 
but most people in fact actually have low stomach acid and that in itself is causing the heartburn. That's because our esophageal sphincter that is between our stomach and our, esoph and our um, intestines needs acid as the trigger to keep it nice and closed and tight. If the acid or not enough acid is there, that sphincter is going to stay open and allowing any residual or small amount of acid and food that is in there to flux back up into the esophagus. And so some people might experience that as burning if you do have some acid, or if you don't have any or hardly any acid at all, you might experience more of um, a reflux without the burning. So feeling like your food is coming up your throat or that there's a lump in your throat or you can't swallow properly because the food is coming up, but there's no burning because there's not enough acid there. So that's called silent reflux. That's also very, very common, especially in those of you who have taken or are currently taking what's called PPIs, proton pump inhibitors. They're prescription strength antacids, and they are way over prescribed by the medical system because heartburn is such a big uh, problem. And that's the only thing they have to offer, unfortunately. So in my practice, what I would do with someone with heartburn would be to look at why do we have the heartburn? Do they have low stomach acid? Do they have food sensitivities? Is it dysbiosis, which is a bacterial imbalance or overgrowth, especially in the small intestine, which is called SIBO? We'll dive into that shortly. Or is there something else going on, right? So we have to rule out all these things. Even constipation can ca cause heartburn because it's causing that excess pressure and buildup um, in, in the gut and things aren't moving along. So we have to look at um, stomach acid as very necessary, um, to, you know, both for digestion and absorption of our food. So it's really important to help break things down along with digestive enzymes and along with bile, which we'll touch on shortly. But it also importantly acts as a barrier to prevent your body from growing too much bacteria where it shouldn't be. So most of your microbiome, your bacteria in your gut should be in your large intestine. When you have low stomach acid, you know, whether that's natural um, reasons because you're not producing enough acid or you're chronically stressed, or if it's because you've been on an antacid drug, whatever the reason, when you have that, it allows the bacteria to grow out of control in your small intestine and your stomach, which can worsen things like heartburn, indigestion, you probably feel full after only a few bites, um, lots of gas. And also, importantly, especially if you have, you know, low stomach acid, low bile, and even SIBO, which we'll touch on shortly, you're not going to be absorbing things properly. And that's going to cause more problems with things like fatigue, mental health, and more. So we really have to look at, you know, is it low stomach acid? If it is, we have to optimize that stomach acid um, by getting off those medications. And sometimes it requires taking um, digestive enzymes with acid in them. Um, and we can also use things like digestive bitters as well, but we have to get that acid up to keep that protective barrier there so we don't develop or worsen um, a bacterial overgrowth or imbalance in our upper gut. So if you tend to have upper gut symptoms like fullness, belching after meals, reflux, you're more likely to have low stomach acid, low bile, and or things like SIBO, which is that Im imbalance or overgrowth of bacteria in your small intestine where it's not supposed to be. So let's talk a little bit about SIBO now and bile because this is all connected, right? So basically if you have low stomach acid and or bile, 
you're going to develop SIBO. You're going to put yourself at a higher risk to develop SIBO. So this is why SIBO is more common in the aging population. So if you're perimenopause or menopause, uh, we naturally produce less stomach acid as we age. And um, we actually need estrogen to produce bile. And bile is um, emulsifies fat. So it's produced in our liver. So if we have any kind of liver issues, which we'll also dive into soon, um, if we're not producing enough bile, um, we're not going to be having um, good poops either because we need bile. It acts as a um, promotility agent as well, but it also acts to keep that bacteria under control. So it reduces our risk of SIBO or dysbiosis because it's naturally antibacterial. So both your stomach acid and your bile act together to keep bacteria under control so we don't get this overgrowth of bacteria, the SIBO in your small intestine. Because again, when that happens, you're going to have malabsorption, you're going to have obviously digestive issues, but you're not going to be absorbing your nutrients. And that gives you a whole host of other problems like fatigue, mental health issues, um, then you're going to have um, issues with bone density, all kinds of things. So why do we have issues with bile? So we need our estrogen to produce bile. So when that starts to decline, we're gonna have lower bile output. Women that have been on birth control also have issues with bile and commonly develop gallstones. And I will say right now that doctors are very quick to want to remove your gallbladder. Unless it is an emergency situation, I highly recommend you seek a second opinion and or ask to see if they can break up, if you do have gallstones, to see if they can break it up using ultrasound. Because once you lose that gallbladder, you're going to have troubles digesting fat and be more at risk for things like SIBO for the rest of your life. It's going to be an issue for you. So you want to try to hang on to that. But I digress. Um, so we talked about the role of estrogen in bile formation and how we need bile to act as an antibacterial barrier, but also to emulsify and digest and absorb fats. That's why people that have had their gallbladder out or don't produce enough bile for whatever reason, even if you have your gallbladder, your doctor said you don't have gallstones, it's possible to have other issues with your gallbladder and your bile production. So it could be one, you're just not producing enough bile Two, you have sticky sludgy bile, which is very common. So it's so thick that your gallbladder can't squeeze it out. Or three, you have what's called biliary dyskinesia, which is basically just a fancy term that your gallbladder is not contracting properly to squeeze the bile out. So there's many, many things that can go wrong. And interestingly, we have a microbiome in each different part of our body. Our skin has a microbiome. Our mouth has a microbiome. Our gut has a microbiome. And our gallbladder actually has its own microbiome. So if the microbes are often there, that's going to worsen the function of the gallbladder and not allow it to squeeze out that very important bile. So all that being said, um, bile is also prokinetic. So we're going to see how now we're seeing that, you know, if estrogen's low combined with not enough bile for whatever reason, you're going to have more issues with constipation, right? Because it helps you move things along. And then now let's dive a little bit more into SIBO. So anyone that has SIBO, we're going to have upper gut symptoms. You're more likely to have it if you've had any of these factors. So there's many of them, so bear with me. You've taken an antacid for any length of time, especially if it's been years. Um, by the way, antacids have a black box warning that they're not to be used for more than two weeks for treatment of ulcers. Um, but doctors often leave 
patients on these drugs for years, sometimes decades. I myself was on an antacid for about five years, and that's what contributed to my SIBO and my digestive problems. Um, so antacids, low stomach acid for any number of reasons, including autoimmune disease, um, aging, and stress. Having any kind of abdominal surgery, so having scar tissue from that abdominal surgery, um, having chronic constipation, use of birth control, having your gallbladder out or insufficient bile, uh, concussions, food poisoning, um, trying to think if there's anything else. I think that's about it. And then other stealth infections or co-infections, things like Lyme, mold, other issues that you can develop that um, may be kind of lurking in your body. These are all things that can predispose you to SIBO. Um, and so if you think you might have SIBO, do reach out to me. That's something I work on quite a bit with clients. It does take a professional approach to treat because there's many, many factors that we have to address. We have to kill off that bacterial overgrowth. We have to optimize your stomach acid and bile. We have to make sure that you're pooping regularly. So constipation is a big, big, big one for SIBO and any kind of dysbiosis, whether it's upper gut or lower gut. Um, and we have to make sure we manage your stress levels because we know for a fact that when you're stressed, especially with chronic stress, it shuts down your digestion. Okay. So not only is your, you're going to get constipated, but you're also not producing enough stomach acid. You're just not digesting at all because your body is prioritizing all its resources to run from danger and save your life. So this is how you can see that it's really complicated to, to heal the gut and we have to address the whole person, the whole lifestyle and not just rely on, you know, a specific supplement or a specific type of diet to fix these problems. So I want to talk a little bit more now about um, medications really quickly. Then we're going to dive into bloating um, as well as liver health. And then we're going to dive a little bit more into um, mood changes and fatigue and then looks. So a lot of us women, we are um, concerned about our looks as we get older. So skin changes, hair changes, and um, and nails and weight. So we're going to talk about that a little bit more too. We've already kind of touched on metabolism, but to sum up this section, basically we have to address the gut health in order to optimize our hormones. And we know that they interact with each other, right? So as estrogen starts declining, we're more likely to be constipated. We're more likely to have issues with bile and digestion and develop SIBO. And the more everything is backed up up here in your upper gut, including your small intestine and liver, the more likely you are to have worsened hormones because our liver and all of that has to be functioning optimally to balance, build and balance our hormones. So that's really important. We're going to dive into that soon, but I want you to just know quickly that your liver plays a big, big role in you know, monitoring the hormone situation. And if things are out of whack, for example, you have too much estrogen, it tells the body, okay, we've got too much. We're going to pack up some of it and send it to the gut for excretion. But we know that the gut plays a huge role here in that if you have the wrong balance of microbes in there, so mostly these inflammatory bacteria, they make an enzyme called beta-glucuronidase, which is basically um, taking that estrogen and recycling it. So instead of allowing your body to excrete it in the feces, 
it's recycling it saying, no, we're going to reabsorb this into the system and keep it in the body. So estrogen is becoming higher and higher and higher, and you're developing more estrogen dominant symptoms such as bloating, mood changes, insomnia, um, weight gain, all of these kind of things. Um, pain and painful periods if you're still menstruating. So ideally, we need to have that liver functioning well, so we're going to dive into that soon. But I briefly just want to touch on one thing before we leave this section, and that is medication. So we talked already about the use of antacids. So that is a big, big one that we have to avoid. The second one is antibiotics. And I work with a number of clients, pretty much all of my clients have taken a lot of antibiotics in their life, often because they've had health issues from a young age where they were getting, you know, frequent sinus infections, ear infections. As they got older, maybe they were getting more UTIs and yeast infections. And so they were routinely put on um, antibiotics. And unfortunately, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago, we didn't know what we know now about the importance of the microbiome. And many doctors would just hand out antibiotics and not say anything about, you know, restoring the microbiome afterwards because they just didn't know. It's still fairly new science. And many doctors still don't tell, um, especially women, it's very important for women to repopulate the gut after because that's why we're more prone to things like recurrent UTIs and yeast infections when we don't have the healthy bacteria down there. And I want you to know that your vaginal microbiome and, and your uterus is directly connected to your gut. So if you have dysbiosis in your large intestine, you're way more likely to have dysbiosis in your um, vaginal microbiome and your uterus because these things, they translocate. The bacteria can move back and forth. It's kind of gross, I know, but it also uh, has to do with the pH shifts as well. But I want to just bring it back to antibiotics for a moment. So if you are someone who has taken antibiotics, especially if you've taken them frequently in your life, we need to, first of all, you probably already have dysbiosis because you didn't repopulate the gut afterwards. And we need to do that by eating lots of fiber. We also use probiotics, fermented foods. There's many, many things that we can do. I want you to know that probiotics are not the only answer or the answer. People think, oh, I'll just take a probiotic, I'll be fine. As of right now, as far as I know, the current probiotics that are on the market only stay in your gut for up to 14 days. They are transient. They basically go in and they go out eventually. They modulate the environment while they're in there and they make you feel good. But if you don't keep taking them consistently, you're not going to see the benefit of them. So the importance here is that we really have to modulate the diet and bring in specific fibers and fermented foods and certain types of foods in order to encourage the growth of your own natural healthy bacteria. Okay, so whatever is in there, we have to encourage the growth of it because Without doing that, those probiotics are not going to stick around. So you're going to be taking them the rest of your life, right? Hopefully, eventually, they'll come up with probiotics and also things like fecal transplants, which are in the works, where they will stay in the gut longer. But as of right now, it's not a thing. So what I want you to know is that if you've taken the antibiotics in the past, you likely have some degree of dysbiosis, which we have to address. And that could be either too much bad guys and not enough good guys, or sometimes it's not necessarily that you have a lot of bad microbes in your gut, but you just don't have enough good microbes. And that can be for many reasons. So obviously the antibiotics is one reason, but the other one is stress, constipation, and poor diet. So again, bringing it back to diet, knowing that 
most of us here in North America eat a lot of processed foods that are high in carbs and sugar, preservatives and chemicals, and very, very low in things like fiber, fruits and vegetables. So if you're going to do one thing for yourself, a simple thing would be to eat more home-cooked meals with less packaged foods in them and increase your fiber intake. Now, this becomes an issue if you already have dysbiosis, you likely don't tolerate most fibers very well. I'm willing to bet that most fibers give you gas, bloating, either constipation or diarrhea, and indigestion of some sort. If you've gotten to that point and you really can't tolerate a lot of fibers, you have to book a session with myself to do this gut healing protocol to kill off the imbalance and restore balance to your microbiome. Because it's only once we do that that you're able to tolerate more foods, especially higher fiber foods. So that's the, the great thing about working together, which I get excited about, my clients get excited about, is that you temporarily sometimes have to restrict things. Like, yes, I may ask you to go gluten-free or dairy-free for a few weeks or a month. But in the long run, because we're healing that root cause and bringing down the inflammation, optimizing your digestion, you're able to bring in all of these foods that you had to avoid for so long. And now you can eat such a wide variety of foods. By the time we're done working together, you can eat those foods that you've been missing without having symptoms. The goal is not to stay on a restricted diet for life. And too many people do that because they find a diet that works for them and they figure, okay, I'll just have to avoid this forever. But that's not treating the root cause, right? As soon as you eat that food, you're gonna have the symptom again. But what if you could eat that food and not have the symptom? That's where the true healing is, okay? So anyways, I just wanna let you know that antibiotics, they do a lot of damage to the gut, especially if they are the very strong ones. If you've done triple antibiotic therapy for some kind of you know, H. pylori or other um, illness or um, infection that you had, you really have to heal up that gut and balance things out in order for you to move on with your gut healing journey. Because we know for a fact that having the wrong bacteria or not enough good bacteria is causing many things in the body to happen that are going to make you feel worse and worsen um, your transition and, and the aging process. So you're going to be more likely to put on weight, more likely to have blood sugar imbalances, high inflammation, uh, more headaches, more aches and pains, more food intolerances, more fatigue, uh, poor mental health. All of these things are related to the health of your microbiome. And so if you're struggling, I highly encourage you to reach out. I'm going to end it here for this, this video, and we're going to move on in the next video to talk more about um, liver health and how that impacts digestion and hormones, um, as well as um, the role of absorption. And we talked a bit about SIBO. We're going to dive more into the role of absorption and how that impacts things like fatigue and mental health. Look, I get it. I've been there myself. You leave the doctor's office and you end up crying because they just don't get it. 
and they can't help you. They did all the tests, they even referred you to a specialist, and all they told you was that you had IBS. Great, so now what are you supposed to do? Avoid your favorite foods for the rest of your life? It just feels like no one can help and it's so overwhelming. Maybe they even told you to try a low FODMAP diet, but you Googled it and it seems so complicated and restrictive. You're not alone and you can heal your gut. It just takes a different approach. If you want to learn more about how to kickstart your gut healing journey, join me inside the Fix Your Gut for Good membership. Inside the membership, you get empowered with the knowledge you need to actually heal the root causes of your gut issues. And we dive into whole body, whole person healing. The reason that you get stuck when you may have tried supplements or other diets before is that you're only focusing in on one aspect of healing when really there's so many other components that need to be addressed. It sounds complicated and lengthy, and it can be, but not if you have the guidance from a professional as well as the support of a community of friends that actually get it and are there for you 24-7. If this sounds like something that you need in your life, go to the link in the bio and check out the Fix Your Gut for Good landing page. And if you want more information, I'm always here to answer any questions you have. We're going to dive a little bit more into liver health and what that has to do with hormones as well as digestion and the age-related changes that happen. So I've seen more and more people come to me that have um, either a risk for fatty liver, so elevated liver enzymes, or they've been diagnosed with fatty liver by their doctor. And I think there's a lot of misinformation um, and Things are misconstrued a bit. People don't really understand what fatty liver is or what causes it. Um, they think it has to do with eating too much fat or something because of the name. So I want to kind of clear that up first. And then we're going to dive into some of the factors um, and why liver health is so very important for both hormone health and um, digestion. So first of all, fatty liver um, develops when the liver is not functioning optimally. And especially when we have high triglycerides, that is a type of cholesterol that forms in our body when our blood sugar is consistently high. So we're having consistently high blood sugar due to either diet and or stress and or microbiome. There's so many factors that can impact that lack of exercise and muscle mass. And so when our blood sugar is consistently high, now we've developed high triglycerides and our body says, okay, clearly I don't need all this sugar. I'm going to store some of it as fat. And because of the metabolic processes that go on when this is happening, it ends up storing that fat, those triglycerides in the form of fat in your liver. Okay. So we've got too much triglycerides floating around. The body starts storing it in the liver. And we don't want that to happen because our liver health is very, very important for many reasons. First of all, your liver is used to detoxify things from your body. So anything you bring in that is a toxin, whether that's inhaled, um, it's food that has pesticides on it, um, anything at all has to be processed and medications, alcohol, all has to be processed through your liver um, to be metabolized and excreted from the body in a healthy way. But our liver also does a lot more. So our liver is important for um, cholesterol levels, but also for digestion and balancing hormones. So our liver produces bile, which gets stored in the gallbladder and released when we eat a meal. And that bile is really important to help emulsify and digest fats. Um, 
And many people as we get older have issues with bile production or excretion or develop gallstones. Very, very common as estrogen levels downregulate and decline, um, especially women that have been on birth control or people that have SIBO, that small intestine bacterial overgrowth we've talked about before. That's actually a risk factor for, factor for developing um, fatty liver and um, bile and gallbladder issues. Well, it's all connected. And we know that having this fatty liver is going to make it very hard for your body to do what it needs to do. So your liver is also responsible for building and balancing your sex hormones. So when your sex hormones are out of whack, so say you have too much estrogen, not enough progesterone, or whatever the case may be, your liver is responsible for managing that and sending some out of the body and so balancing things out, right? A lot of women are estrogen dominant, meaning they have higher estrogen relative to progesterone. Um, and so if the liver can't sense that and do something about it, we're going to have this estrogen dominance, you know, sticking around. We're going to have more hormone related symptoms, but that also predisposes us to things like weight gain and other illnesses such as cancers and whatnot. So we really want to make sure those hormones are balanced. Um, so Optimal liver health is important for digestion, cholesterol levels, um, so your risk of things like heart disease, and um, also your hormone levels. And so we actually need estrogen to build bile, produce bile um, in our liver, and that gets stored in our gallbladder, right? So as our estrogen declines when we enter menopause, we're going to have a harder time with that. So we have to do as much as we can to support the body in producing optimal levels of bile, because we know, as I've talked about before, that bile is important not only for fat digestion and absorption, but it also acts as an antibacterial barrier to prevent you from developing things like SIBO or um, some dysbiosis in your small intestine, right? So it's kind of an antibacterial barrier between the um, stomach acid and the bile. They work together to keep that bacteria under control. They also are um, prokinetic, meaning they're going to help your bowels move. And so if you've got low stomach acid or low bile, you're more likely to become constipated. And we know that constipation um, worsens things like weight gain, mental health, inflammation. Um, we also know that having that dysbiosis, that bacterial imbalance, especially in the lower gut, can even promote um, issues like fatty liver. So it all comes back and everything is impacting each other basically, right? So if we have imbalances in the upper gut, it's impacting the liver, the liver is impacting the upper gut and absorption and digestion, um, whether we develop this dysbiosis, the large intestine, the balance of microbes there is impacting our metabolism, it's impacting our blood sugar, it's impacting our liver health, it's all connected. So I know it sounds really complex and that's why it's really important to work with a practitioner who knows what they're doing and can help you figure out what you need to focus on so you're not overwhelmed and you're not trying to DIY it. To optimize our liver function. So we do that by balancing our blood sugar so we don't have too much triglycerides and end up with fatty liver, right? So we're eating to balance blood sugar. That means we're eating every four hours or so, and we're having a combination of fat, fiber, and protein. These things are digested and absorbed more slowly than things like simple carbs, and that keeps your blood sugar steady and prevents you from developing um, high blood sugar and insulin resistance, which is a pre-diabetic state. And that state also promotes weight gain. And so as we talked about, the hormone changes that happen in perimenopause and menopause 
make you more predisposed to developing these conditions. Um, so we really have to keep a handle on this in terms of doing all that we can with diet, exercise, and working with a practitioner if necessary to treat those root causes. Now, the other reason we might develop fatty liver would be long-term use of medications. We talked about the liver is important for processing, metabolizing any kind of chemicals or toxins that come into the body, and that includes drugs. So they have to be metabolized through the liver. Whether this is a prescription drug or an over-the-counter drug, they all have to be metabolized through the liver. And so being on drugs, especially multiple drugs long-term, is going to impact your liver function. So as much as possible, you know, in working on these conditions with a practitioner like myself, because we can make such progress, a lot of people are actually able to come off some of their medications, especially if it's something like a pain medication, a heartburn medication, things like that. And even some people have had um, success coming off antidepressants. I don't think you should come off them just willy-nilly. You have to be very careful about that. And I would never ask a client to do that um, if they're not ready. But some people have opted to do that on their own terms. And because we were supporting their gut health, their hormone health, all of these factors that impact mental health, they were able to do that and still feel okay. And let's dive a little bit more now into mental health and um fatigue so i see fatigue as one of the biggest issues with my clients um and fatigue there's a number of causes for that but we know for sure that one of the biggest ones especially as we age we just talked about you know how your stomach acid is naturally lower as you get older you likely don't have enough bile and your liver is not functioning properly and so, and especially if you have SIBO, you develop SIBO because of your low stomach acid, because of these antacids you've been taking, because of a poor diet, because of constipation. Once you have that, um, it's going to impact your absorption and that's gonna impact your energy and your mental health. So how does that work? Absorption takes place in your small intestine. And so if there's anything that's causing inflammation in there, including bacterial overgrowth or SIBO from low stomach acid, from poor diet, from constipation, all these factors we talked about, once you have that SIBO, that dysbiosis in your small intestine, you're not able to properly absorb and digest the nutrients from your food. So unfortunately you could be eating a really healthy diet, but you're not absorbing any of the nutrients from that food because you don't have enough stomach acid, enough bile, or enough digestive enzymes, and the sheer fact that there's just so much inflammation going on in there that you're not going to be absorbing things. The other crazy fact with that is that bacteria love to steal your nutrients, especially iron and B vitamins. These are very common nutrient deficiencies, especially in people with chronic gut issues and especially as people um, are aging. And the reason for that, again, it has to do with absorption, but it also has to do with having SIBO or dysbiosis. Because when you have that bacteria there where they're not supposed to be, in your small intestine, the site of absorption, those bacteria are there and they're stealing your nutrients from you. You're trying to absorb them, but they're in there and they're stealing them from you for their own purposes, right? So what we have to do at that point is kill them off and optimize digestive function. So that means increasing stomach acid and bile in order to um, prevent them from coming back, but in order to optimize digestion so that you are absorbing all those nutrients that are crucial for both energy and uh, mental health. So we need things like iron, B12, B6, magnesium, 
These are all things that are needed to both build happy hormones like serotonin and dopamine in our brain and to um, give us energy, right? And even just the macronutrients from our food, the carbs, fat, and protein that we are eating, if we're obviously not absorbing it very well, we're not going to get energy, right? Energy comes from food and from optimal digestion and from your body being able to turn that food into energy. So if you can't do that because something along the way is not working, whether that's your small intestine, your stomach acid levels, um, whatever it may be, that's going to cause fatigue, right? We also know that systemic inflammation causes fatigue due to um, your body's inability to produce what's called ATP. So if you remember back from high school, ATP is the energy currency of the body and it's produced in your cells. And so um, we need everything to be functioning optimally to be producing ATP properly. So we need low levels of inflammation. We need all of our nutrients to be in check. So things like vitamin C and lots of antioxidants. Um, and B vitamins. And we need all of these things to be present and functioning optimally in order to um, have that process take place within the cell and be making and using that ATP. When we have too much inflammation, our body is busy trying to put out that fire of inflammation and it's using up all of our antioxidants and all of our nutrients to do that. And so the cells aren't getting what they need to make that ATP so now you're deficient in ATP, of course, you're going to be tired. That's the energy currency of the body, right? And on top of that, not only do you not have the ATP, but now you've got high levels of inflammation. So where is all this inflammation coming from? When people say we have inflammation, it doesn't just exist, right? It has to be coming from somewhere. We have to understand where it's coming from and what we can do about it. A lot of people, their inflammation is coming from one of two major sources. One is imbalanced blood sugar, which we talked about, and the other is your microbiome. So when you have dysbiosis or bacterial imbalance or overgrowth in the gut, so too much bad guys, they're going to be causing inflammation, but that inflammation does not just stay in the gut, okay? It enters your circulation and causes inflammation systemically in your whole body and your brain. So that's one of the ways in which your gut is causing fatigue and impacting your mental health. So what we have to do is get to the root of that inflammation by balancing out your gut bacteria, bringing down the inflammation in the gut so that we can bring down the inflammation in the whole body. Part of the problem there is that once we develop this inflammation in the gut, we often develop what's called leaky gut. And that's where there's so much inflammation in the gut that the gut cells, which ordinarily and healthy gut cells should be nice and tight and sealed and only allow microscopic particles into the bloodstream, such as nutrients and glucose, they become leaky. So they become, um, the gaps between the cells become larger. And now we're allowing things like food particles to leak into the bloodstream where they are not supposed to be, okay? So the immune system says, what the heck's going on? Why is this here? Starts flagging these food particles and mounting an immune response. First of all, that is going to cause us to develop immune or sorry, um, food sensitivities or allergies. And secondly, that constant immune response, so your body's constantly flagging things that are leaking into your bloodstream, that is going to cause fatigue and inflammation. And the more that happens, it's going to impact your mental health, your energy levels, all kinds of things in your body. 
So if you've ever had your inflammation levels tested in a test called CRP, there's many different things they can do to measure inflammation. That's one of them. And your doctor has said that it's high. You really have to get both your blood sugar and your microbiome balanced out and under control in order to bring that inflammation level down and allow your body to do what it needs to do. So that means optimizing digestion, and allowing your cells to bring in those nutrients to make that ATP so you have energy. So the other factor here with energy, if you're someone who's struggling with chronic fatigue, there's two other factors we have to talk about. Number one is blood sugar, which we did talk about already, but I want to circle back to it. If your blood sugar is yo-yoing throughout the day because you are skipping meals, you're super stressed, or you're living off um, processed crappy food, so you're drinking like a latte for breakfast and a bagel for lunch with like no protein, your blood sugar is going to be spiking and crashing all day. And that directly is going to impact your energy, your mood, and your focus and your ability to be productive at work. You're going to be cranky, you're going to gain weight, you're going to have inflammation, you're going to be tired no matter how much coffee you drink. We have to get that blood sugar under control. The final thing is your adrenal glands. And I kind of want to circle back to how this connects to hormones. So importantly, for those women who are, you know, maybe 30s, 40s, starting the transition into perimenopause at some time, really need to hone in and listen to your body and focus on supporting your adrenal glands. So those are the glands that sit on top of your kidneys that produce stress hormones. When you're chronically stressed and you're doing too much all the time, your adrenal glands are constantly um, putting out stress hormones, but they can only do that for so long, right? There's obviously they're going to reach a point of exhaustion where they say, I give up. I can't do this anymore. I'm overworked. And they just stop producing the hormones that you need. So cortisol gets a bad rap. That's one of the main stress hormones, but we actually need cortisol for energy, for proper immune function and many other factors. So if we don't have enough cortisol, we're going to have chronic fatigue. And so what happens is in these people that have been chronically stressed for a long period of time, their adrenals can't keep up anymore. And now they're developing um, chronic fatigue and nothing is helping. So this is where we have to implement lifestyle changes and get more rest um, because without that, the body's not going to be able to recover. Okay, It's a simply a, a fact that the body has been too stressed and too overworked for too long. The adrenals need to be nourished. And we can do things like using adrenal supplements. So that includes adaptogen herbs and nervine herbs, as well as other nutrients like vitamin C to nourish the adrenals and certain dietary changes as well. But again, you can be doing all of the things, taking supplements, changing your diet, but if you are not getting the rest that you need, then you're never going to recover from adrenal fatigue. So why does that matter other than fatigue? It matters for your mental health and it matters um, a huge impact on the aging process. So women that have adrenal fatigue, as they're starting to enter perimenopause and menopause, have a worse transition and a worse um, worsening of symptoms, right? So you can have a fairly smooth transition if everything is balanced in your body. But if you have adrenal fatigue, wacky blood sugar, imbalanced microbiome, you're going to have a worse transition to perimenopause and menopause. And the number one reason for that is because as we transition, um, when we're younger, our body makes most of our sex hormones from our ovaries. As we transition into menopause, our sex hormones are, are now mostly made from our adrenal glands. 
So think about that. If your adrenal glands are burnt out and can't produce the hormones that we need them to produce to produce those sex hormones as well as stress hormones, where are your hormones coming from in menopause, right? They're already going to be lower as it is because that just naturally happens. But if your adrenals are burnt out, you're not producing nearly enough hormones and you're really going to need to work with someone like a naturopath, possibly get on some bioidentical hormones to replace those that your body can't make because you're so depleted and burnt out. So as I said, let's circle back and just honor our body's needs for rest. Yes, supplements and nutrition are important, but if you're not resting, your adrenals are going to become depleted and it's going to make a much more rocky transition into perimenopause and menopause because that is what our body uses to build hormones at that phase in our life. Thanks for tuning in today, guys. Hey, if you have 30 seconds to spare, if you could leave me a rating and review in your podcast app, I would greatly appreciate it. It helps women just like you discover my podcast and start their own healing journey. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you next week.